Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Catherine. Here with me today, I have my two wonderful colleagues, Bethany and Lauren. Hello. Hiya. Lauren, introduce yourself. Who are you? I'm Lauren. So the first part is down. I work in business development and marketing with Catherine. Yep. Bethany. Uh, my turn, yeah. Uh, I'm Bethany. <laughs> and I also work in marketing, but as uh, a graphic designer on the operations side of the marketing team, but still work very closely with uh, Lauren and Catherine. And we share cubicle walls. We do. It is true. We're three members of the quad. So obviously, I want to say thank you for being my first guest on the podcast. My goal is to share different stories and journeys of the post-grad life and what to expect. So I thought, who better to talk to than my two colleagues and now friends that have literally been by my side, my cubicle side, since I graduated. So... Bethany, what have you been up to since you graduated? When did you graduate? So I graduated from Longwood University in 2013, May of 2013, and uh, that was a while ago. So it has been quite the adventure. Um, I wasn't always a graphic designer, first out of college, so um, uh, it was a struggle in the beginning. But since then, I've... uh, found a place that I've really enjoyed working and I get to be creative and uh, the life um, work balance is really great uh, with our current company for me at least I know sometimes it can be stressful but that's any job Uh, but since then yeah no just working Uh, originally was living in Chesterfield, Virginia, and then moved up here uh, to D.C. Was it for the job? It was, yeah. Like a lot of people moving to D.C., uh, it was for a job job opportunity, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Lauren, what about you? I graduated in 2014. Um, I moved down to D.C. right after that. Not so much for a job I didn't have too much of a plan career-wise I just wanted something that I would like doing and my boyfriend at the time and a lot of my friends are moving to DC so I said sure why not and I've, I've had a couple of different roles since then this is my third job since college so both of you did you know you wanted to be a graphic designer in college and then that was your first job. And then Lauren, for you, did you know you wanted to be a business <laughs> development coordinator in college? And that was your first job? Or, you know, explain that kind of process. Yeah, for sure. So when I uh, first started at Longwood, I definitely did not know that uh, graphic design was even really a job. Uh, per se, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of odd thinking about it now just because graphic design is literally everywhere. Um, yeah. Or like just different outlets and different versions. Yeah, versions yeah. of graphic designers are a thing. But when I first went into college, I thought uh, I was going to be a photographer. I did very quickly <laughs> after uh, some experiences with some not so great teachers. 
but uh, soon I was luckily lucky enough to find um, or not find but have an advisor that was assigned to me that was one of the main graphic design teachers I definitely knew that I wanted to do something with arts and uh, just talking with him he convinced me to sort of um, start in the art program and try to work my way into the graphic design program and that's sort of how I ended up with that career so when I graduated I definitely knew I wanted to be a graphic designer so um, that kind of developed over the course of school Um, but after graduating I was not I did not find a job immediately being a graphic designer so uh, but yeah for the most part went to school to be a graphic designer now I am a graphic designer, so I am a uh, art major that's actually using their degree. Yeah. That's pretty... Props. Yeah. yeah. Hey. It's an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, you? Hi. Yeah, that, that's not what happened with me. Um, <laughs> I went to school for philosophy, which and actually ended up being a good idea. Um, obviously, when I found out that philosophy was a thing, I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. And also, it seems like this could be applicable to literally anything. So, you know, when I chose that major, I figured I'm, I'm kicking the, the hard part down the road, basically. Like, I'm going to study ideas and writing, and I'm going to become a really great thinker. And uh, once I graduate, I'll figure out how I'm going to make money off of that. So, I mean, I did. Um, I didn't start in marketing. I started in academic publishing, which was a lot of fun. I talked to a lot of really, really fascinating people. I talked a lot about, you know, the mind, science. Philosophy was not heavy on the science, obviously, so I enjoyed that. Um, When I pivoted into BD and marketing, it... You know, it almost surprised me how applicable philosophy was because it's just, it's all ideas and it's all clarifying ideas and trying to explain them to people. So, you know, it worked out, but I I was just never that big of a planner. So you go with the flow. I went with the flow. Yeah. I have a set of skills that I can put on a resume. <laughs> uh, I, I can feed myself. I can pay my rent. And I, you know, I do really love writing and love thinking about concepts, and I get to do that. Yeah. And you're very good at it. Thank you, friend. No problem. (laughs) So you mentioned you moved down to D.C. because of friends and a boyfriend. Would you recommend that to other people? I wouldn't not recommend it. (laughs) I did have to replace all of the friends and also the boyfriend. But <laughs> but DC is a cool place, so you got that. Place, yeah, yeah. I, I did get to do it. I, you know, it was good. It was good for me to have a kick in the pants to go do something new. So yeah, it was my first maybe year down here was tough, and then you know the next year after that I was kind of rebuilding what my life looked like, rebuilding what my social spaces looked like. But it's been great since then. How did you? rebuild it. I feel like after college, mm-hmm. you go through college and you're this one person, and then you graduate and you have to kind of rebuild yourself as an adult. Did you reinvent yourself? Do you reinvent yourself with new people, with the new jobs, with the new city? So you moved down from Boston. Um, yep, yeah, I moved down from Boston. Uh, DC is pretty different. 
you know, same country, East Coast. Yeah. Um, so there's that much. Let's see. I think, so I was very lucky to meet my now boyfriend pretty soon after the breakup. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that was on Tinder, folks. So there's there's hope for y'all. Hey. Mm-hmm. So, like, having having that kind of solid partnership to go out and explore was definitely a luxury. Past that, though, I mean, I needed to make girlfriends. I needed to make normal friends. I needed things to do outside of hang out with my dumb boyfriend. And work. And work. And so I made, I did make a couple friends through various jobs. Um, some stuck, some didn't. But, you know, it's fine to have work friends that are just work friends that you never talk to again. But yeah. it's nice It's nice also when you get to have something that's better than that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, I, it was a point in my life where I had to be really good about seizing opportunities to get to know people. Um, I'm not, I'm not a major extrovert, but I did find that I was really interested in, in people and their lives and getting to know them. So... Like, one of my best friends down here now, I met through a girl that one of my roommates was dating. And, like, the the connecting point, like, they don't even talk anymore. I haven't heard from her in years. But I, like, became close to this other woman. So, you know, it just kind of happens like that. You meet people, you know, circumstantially. And then if you're in the mood for new friends, you really literally just have to say, hey... Let's do, you want do something. Yeah. yeah. Let's get brunch. Let, I don't know. Let's get a drink. Let's do whatever. Yeah. So I guess my, uh, I guess, journey to D.C. is a little bit different. Um, you were talking about reinventing yourself. Well, for me, I actually ended up moving in with two of my best friends from college. So it just felt like college continued, but okay, yeah. sort of a adult version of that. Um Kind of how I ended up here was actually networking. Um, not really, but kind of considering that this the person I networked with is uh, was and still one of my very good friends. But at a wedding, I was currently still living in Chesterfield. Uh, my friend Elena, she was living up in D.C. and working in D.C. for the Scottish Rite. And... Um, she had mentioned to me at this wedding, hey, they have an opening for a graphic design position, like, would you be interested? And so for me, I had no experience being a graphic designer. I said, sure, I'll take a shot. Ended up getting the position, I was shocked. Um, but they took a chance on me and I ended up moving up here. But my <laughs> start here, I ended up first moving in with one of my uh, good friends from uh, fourth grade lived in a studio apartment with her for six months it was very <laughs> college so it was Ugh. it was pretty much like college. it was an, an experience but I wouldn't have changed it um I ended up moving in after that after that six months uh she ended up not really liking DC that much so she went back back home to where we were where we grew up and then uh, I ended up moving in with my two best friends into DuPont, where you now reside, literally yeah. right down the down the street. The so, pink house. Yeah, exactly. So, um, as far as like reinventing myself, I already had a set of friends that I went out with, people you could automatically do stuff with. Yeah. So it was very super easy transition. I was super comfortable. Actually, one of the girls that I had lived with, she was from Nova, so she was already super 
um, familiar with the area and where to go out and places to go and eat and all of that. So the transition for me was a little bit easier. Um, it was actually after that kind of broke up that it became more difficult for me. So I had been living in DC for a while, but after a year of living with them, uh, they kind of, we all went our separate ways. One of them moved in with uh, her now husband. At the time it was her boyfriend. And then my other roommate, she moved to Thailand to teach. So then I was kind of stuck by myself. So that kind of feeling like, oh, this is a new place. I don't know what to do now. That's kind of when it set in for me. So, um, but luckily everything worked out. Found a new job that paid me more, which was always nice. And <laughs> an apartment that I could afford by myself, which was really great. So, um, but from then it does force you when you're kind of by yourself, kind of how you moved up here. Uh, it forces you, yeah, to go out and stay with you, Lauren, and find friends and put yourself out there and, you know, make friends with the people that you work with. And you're totally right. Sometimes they stick, sometimes they don't. So, yeah. And that's how, I, you know, sometimes at work I'll be like, you guys know so much about D.C. You know, you know all the cool spots and you go out and brunch and all these things. But I have to remind myself I've only been here for less a year. It takes a minute. It, it takes does. a minute. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to have met friends. Well, honestly, I haven't met too many friends here in D.C. just yet. Um, the friends I do have were either from college that moved up here. Or, honestly, people that I met in college from like around the, the country that then, after college, moved to D.C. So I just followed up with them like on Instagram or whatever and said, hey, you're here too, like, let's, let's catch up. Um, so kind of like how you said, like, just be persistent. And that's how I have like a few little friends here and there <laughs> and keep myself busy. Um, but I will say I am an, an extrovert in that sense. I just love going out. And even though I like staying at home, watching the Netflix, once I tell myself I'll go out, I'm really happy out. I just have to get myself out of the bed mm -hmm. and out there, and I'm good to go. Totally. So we talked about reinventing ourselves after graduating, and that can be quite stressful. Um, obviously, everyone deals with stress. So I'm interested, how do you guys deal with stressful times? You know, we kind of work in a little bit of a stressful environment. Um, we aren't doing brain surgery here, um, but you know, when we make mistakes, we kind of feel it on ourselves. So in work, in personal lives and love lives, how do you, how do you deal with stress? Do you bring it to work? Um, you know, for me, I, I just, I fake it till I make it and I stay positive until it's annoying. Um, I think people make fun of me, but I... We would never. <laughs> I, I really do stay positive, and I turn any situation into a positive situation because that's how I get through everything. Um, so I think that's really how I cope through the stressful situations, like right now, not having, not being able to take a hot shower. <laughs> I, you know, I try to think of other solutions, um, better solutions and the positive lights. Like I have a roof over my head, stuff like that. Um, 
But yeah, so how about you guys? Lauren? I cannot be positive. That doesn't work for you? It doesn't work for me. I wish it did um, because I have so many, excuse me, really great people in my life who try to show me the positives. (laughs) And usually I just want to like throw them under a bus when that happens. Or strangle them. Or strangle them. (laughs) I don't do that, obviously. For me, it's the more I try not to feel my feelings, the harder they come back up. So when something knocks me back or I'm feeling really nervous about something, um, I cannot try to ignore it. I have to give myself five, ten minutes to sit in it and feel real bad about it. After that, my brain kind of kicks back on and I can think, you know, okay, so this isn't going right. What's one thing I can do that that can either help the situation or that can be like a really small win for me? And I kind of build back up that way. I wish I could be a positive person. <laughs> I like I really admire that about you. Yeah. But that's also a realistic like I can see that definitely working in the work environment. Yeah. Work especially for some reason. Um, I don't know if it's because excuse me, the job bef- I had before this one was, you know, just kind of a bad environment for me. Um, and I like have some residual weird things going on with that or if it's just you know I'm kind of a secretly sensitive person and I have a lot you know my self-esteem rides a lot on am I a good worker but I do I take things at work much harder than I need to I think we all do yeah it's a bummer I need to knock it off (laughs) like if I make a mistake I'm like yeah I suck as a person right and you don't you just made a mistake but we, I don't know, I mean, I, I think, do you feel that way too? Um, I, I don't think for me I immediately go, I'm a bad person. I typically am like, are we allowed to curse on this? You want to keep it clean? Well, I'll keep it clean. Uh, <laughs> I'll have designs that I'm not uh, looking back, and I think that anybody doing anything you look back at it and you're like, wow, that was crap. That really sucked. And it haunt like things haunt me. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want to see them. So it stinks because here we order hundreds of invitations and then those invitations either live in one of my manager's offices or my desk. And I don't want them living in the manager's office because I don't want her to be reminded of that. So I'll hoard them at my desk or just gradually start throwing them away. So because we don't need it anymore. I've kept them around. But um, I don't think I ultimately don't think uh, I take it as I'm a bad person. I take it as I can do better than that. Mm. That that's, that's a good. That's way to probably be. yeah. That's probably a good. So yeah. I try yeah. like I know what I've done in the past, and compared to my other things that I've created or uh, made, uh, and it frustrates me. Like oh, that's on my rap sheet. Like I have this wonky, off-centered, ugly <laughs> invitation. You do <laughs> not make ugly invitations. First well, of all. Uh, well, yeah. we're all hard. We're all, like all hard. our worst yeah. critic. Yeah. So for me coping with stress it's more um I I try really hard to look at my mistakes and like learn from them um just because there's nothing I can do the invitations out there and this is again talking to my managers and stuff um luckily I've had amazing people I've gotten to work with and uh, mentor me uh and kind of say you're not going to be amazing every single time 
like it's just your human yeah mm-hmm. time constraints and everything else too many hands in the pot uh, as far as you know picking things out and what people want as you guys all know <laughs> uh working here a lot of opinions so um i try not to but i, I definitely get stressed and when I'm stressed, I lose sleep. That is my big thing. I cannot go, when I have like a lot of tasks or something, that just is like looming over my head. So I'm more like, I try to get as much done or I'll stay later than I need to. Not necessarily like, it might not be due tomorrow, but if I know I have a lot of things coming up, it will start stressing me out and I'll stay later so I can complete some of the tasks. So I don't feel anxious at work because I don't like feeling that way. So that's kind of how, but yeah, stress is different, I think, for, obviously for everyone, but Catherine, you can't be thinking, I'm a horrible person, you guys, both of you. What is this? That's awful. It's not. It's really not good. Yeah, all jokes aside, seriously, you guys, you guys are not awful at all. So, positive. And I definitely, I try to learn from every mistake, and the biggest thing, you know, I've, mentors have told me and you read in all the books and everything to learn from mm-hmm. your mistake and don't make it again because yep. that's when you get in trouble when you make a mistake and then you keep making it again that's where it's not it's not good look on you yeah. um and I definitely have you know made sure to implement that but it just sucks when you know you can you're like oh man I knew I could have done that better mm-hmm. um and so that's when I'm like oh you know oh um, and it's not like a manager, it's not anybody else, it's just your yeah. part of myself. And I've always been like that. Even in high school, you know, my parents never, you know, made me, they never like were on me about my homework or sports, anything, it was always on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I still to this day don't really know where it came from or, or why. I was always so hard on myself. I always organized, had the calendars. You know I have like millions of calendars mm-hmm. and to-do lists and I've always been that way. Yeah. And it's a competition to be my, myself, mm-hmm. like, I need to be, like, better than what I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. Know. It's just interesting, taking it back to, like, high school, I just had a random thought. Um, the difference between me playing a team sport and then a sport like tennis, mm-hmm. how angry I got over a mistake that happened, because it's solely on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And instead of, like, a team sport, if somebody, oh, somebody scored a goal, like, I was, like, whatever. But mm-hmm. in tennis, I was super competitive and super, I would get angry, like, slamming my bracket on the ground and stuff. But I never acted like that in a team sport. So, yeah, I think it's when it's on you and solely you and you're in control of whatever the situation is at the time and there were mistakes, you're definitely gonna be hard on yourself so Mm -hmm. I mean and what you said about just thinking of it as an opportunity to do better next time yeah is such the right move yeah I'm I'm so annoyed with myself that I'm not there yet which is like the whole dang point yeah (laughs) me too yeah there's something that that you and I do Catherine where like we can see all the links in the chain where something could have you know been checked or fixed and we ignore every single one yep. of those and just blame ourselves. Exactly. For That's literally happened. it. All right. So we're just two different, yeah. <laughs> three different people. You guys it's are just more us. similar. Yeah. It's literally. <laughs> I just yeah. Like, maybe. No, it's literally. No, yeah. And you're totally right. And people have sat me down. They're like, listen, like it's a team effort. And I'm like, you're right. You're literally right. And then I still but go back I to my cubicle. I'm like, yeah, it's my fault. <laughs> it, it, yeah. And it's something, you know, I have, like, a long list of things I'd like to be. And that's mm-hmm. one thing. Totally. Maybe one yeah. day. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it's something I really, Aspire. really want to work on. Yeah. Is not, um, not, not being so humble as to take all the blame and also not being so arrogant as to take all the blame. Yeah. Try, it, trying for a gray area, which is difficult for me. Because it also could hurt you in the long run. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there have been, there have definitely been times at work that I'm sort of just now thinking about where I was very quick to step up and say, yep, this was on me, my bad, I screwed this up, I'm going to fix it. When, you know, I'm sure I had a hand in it, but it wasn't all me. Yeah. By putting myself forward, though, I I sort of reinforced that idea with the team that, oh, yep, this was all my fault. So if I had a little bit more confidence to say, oh, yeah, this was partially my fault, I'll do this better next time, I will help. Mm. That, I think, will be a better way to go than just throwing myself under the bus. It shows you're, you know, you're humble, you take responsibility, but you, you didn't do all of it. No. Yeah. We're a team here. Yeah. I think that's more productive. Yeah. So kind of shifting gears, we've talked about stress. Mm-hmm. A really big point for me after graduating uh, college was, if you know me, you know I have migraines. Um, and... I honestly didn't know how to, well, let me phrase this better. Having a nine to five was always scary to me because um, when you have a migraine, I nine to five, I would just be out. Um, and so I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> do I, in an interview, just say, yeah, I have migraines uh, and like negotiate something? And so I honestly just did nothing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that worked for me Um, and luckily I'm at a company where uh, they are super understanding understanding Mm -hmm. yep and um, you know I can take sick days and I can work from home when I have a migraine or my boss is like look you have a migraine take the day off Mm -hmm. Um, but I also realize I have friends that have migraines worse than I do Um, luckily I don't you know, there's phases of migraines and mm. there's people that have worse, less, whatever. Um, but there's like working on the hill, you know, in DC, that's a big thing. Um, and it's, it's a rough, it's a rough life. You're working 24 mm-hmm. seven. Um, and if you have a migraine, you're still working. Yeah. And so looking at that and then seeing how lucky I am, I was wondering in any of your jobs, um, how have you dealt with mental health, health? I, I call it like physical mental any of the illnesses mm-hmm. um any of your experiences with the jobs that you've had i'm super happy to speak to this so um i'll start off by saying listeners there is best practice for this you do not need to disclose a medical condition or a disability until you are given a job offer Once you have that job offer, it's really important that you get in touch with HR and work to make sure that that disability or that medical condition is accounted for and that there is some kind of plan in the works. You have some kind of contact that you can be in touch with in case you need to make reasonable accommodations to which you are entitled by law. You know, I I needed that. 
I wish that I had, is the answer. I wish that. I had you. I <laughs> <laughs> was um, a lost cause. So yeah. I I did not know this at my first couple jobs. I knew this by this job, which was good. Um, so I live with depression. It's generally really well treated. I was kind of smiling a little bit when you were making the distinction between, you know, a medical issue and a mental issue because for me they're very intertwined. Um, you know, some days like my energy will not be there. If I'm switching medication, I get vertigo. Um, it's it's a whole thing, and I just like I consider it a disease, just flat out. Um, so that's where I'm coming from, and I've been I've been pretty lucky at this job so far. I haven't had any bad flare ups, but it was really important to me when I started to know that if something did happen, I could be covered. Um, so I did talk to HR right when I came on, and you know they were happy to have that in their records. It's important that they know that in case, you know, I come back and sue them for something or other. That's HR's job. It's not to protect you. It's to protect the company. Yeah. It's another tidbit. Because um, at a previous, at both of my previous jobs, it did really impact my work at, you know, one point or another. And at one of my jobs, I had a wonderful manager and she, she kind of helped me. It, she also had a chronic condition. She helped me see how you could work around that and still be productive and take care of yourself. And at my second job, you know, I got to take some time off, but the the understanding wasn't really there. Third third tidbit, and then I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> this is helpful. No, it's um, super helpful. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if especially if you're just entering the workforce or if you're kind of just learning how to live with any kind of chronic condition that you have, if it's an option for you, I really, really recommend going towards a larger company. A larger company is going to have more structure in place about how to deal with this. And it's like you're going to be the third person that day to email HR and say, hey, I need two weeks off. Versus a smaller company, you know, it's kind of the luck of the draw. Either you get a manager who gets it and who can make accommodations or you don't. And you're kind of stuck in this situation where you're really sick and also you need to be a really good advocate for yourself and that's just hard yeah totally when you're sick in bed you don't want to be fighting for yourself saying no. i need paid leave yeah. yeah if it feels like someone's driving an ice pick through your eye socket like like a migraine that's like the last um, thing you yeah you like... don't you don't want to be on the phone with the boss at your startup explaining that no i can't do the proposal that's crazy yeah and you're entitled to paid leave mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. law Paid leave and reasonable accommodation. So for your migraines, working at home, reasonable. Um, you know, kind of waiving the vacation sick day policy when something comes up on you really quickly and you don't know you're going to get a migraine. It's pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like if I have a flare up too, working at home would be a reasonable accommodation. That's like one kind of less thing I have to do. Get out the door in the morning. I can still be productive and do my work at home. Because that's all anyone wants. They just want you to be able to come back and do your job. Hopefully they want more for that too. But like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Hopefully that's not it. But in terms of what your company wants, that's it. And like there are really good ways to make sure that you both of your needs are being met. Your needs to get better and the company's needs to have a productive worker. And they intersect a lot. So... I mean, I don't want you working on my projects when you have a migraine. Oh, yeah. I do not want that. 
No so one wants that. No, the company doesn't want <laughs> yeah. that. So it's good that you can say hi. So if you are in a position where you do need to negotiate for something like that, keep that in mind. Like the sooner you get what you need to feel better, the sooner you can go back to being, you know, a productive member of your organization. Yeah, totally. It's even scary too because I've always known I've had migraines and I always mm-hmm. knew at some point I was gonna come to this point. But there like some of my friends have even now two years out of college they're like, okay, I have this medical condition that I just come about, mm-hmm. and now I need to talk. Like, I need help from work. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't. I have no clue. I'm like, go to H, go to your boss. So I guess you don't go to your boss. You go to HR. It depends on the relationship you have with your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, if it's a close relationship, and you think that they, if it's a close relationship, and you think that they will be able to be supportive. Um, if you're sure of that, actually, don't take a gamble on this. Um, and also, if it's going to affect the work that you do together, it, it could definitely be worth having a conversation with your manager. At a larger organization, you know, you do have HR to get in touch with, and likely they know the manager in question, so they can kind of advise you on how to handle that. Yeah. And it's their job. To, it's their job. Yeah. It's their job. They can act as mediators. Bethany, what about you? What about me? So, um, I can't say, I mean, I deal with stress, but I can't say that uh, I deal with anything like migraines or depression. I'm really fortunate uh, with that, but I do have a learning disability. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I uh, got tested and turns out that I am dyslexic. So, growing up, that was really difficult for me to handle just because Back in the 90s and early 2000s, how people deal with um, learning disabilities is much different, I'm sure, than how things are being dealt with now. I'm sure there's more structure, more um, different variations. And less pulling kids out of class. Less pulling kids, yeah. It was something I was really embarrassed about um, because a lot of the times, anytime I was taking any sort of standardized test, I would get pulled out with kids who... um, were, uh, I don't know, uh, who had had other like severe learning disabilities. Severe learning disabilities. So unfortunately kids can be really mean. So kids who, you know, put a stigma against children who are severely disabled mentally, physically, I was getting pulled out with those children as well. And so I didn't suffer as much teasing, but I saw the teasing that was happening, and that was a fear that I was afraid that that was going to happen to me. So all through, um, you know, going through elementary school, middle school, high school, I had an IEP. Um, uh, Teachers had to adhere to, you know, kind of the the structure that you're talking about with HR. There are accommodations that I needed uh, when I was taking tests, how I took my homework, making sure that um, I was writing my homework, I was writing my homework correctly, um, just because things as simple as page numbers. When you're reading and you're writing stuff down and you're dyslexic, you could be reading a whole different chapter and you go to school the next day and you're like, this was not obviously correct. So just from experience, I've had you know, that pop quizzes, not reading the correct pages and then failing a quiz just because I hadn't written down the correct page numbers, stuff like that. So um, I did chose just because I have learning or because I had that learning disability, I had coping mechanisms, things that I learned um, 
through my mom, luckily, because she is an elementary school teacher, uh, going to specialists that help me deal with um, with that disability. So in college, I didn't continue to have an IEP. I'm not really sure what they have in college for for children who were young adults that have um, learning disabilities. But coming into work, um, I kind of applied what I learned in high school and in college. Um, I've applied in work. So for me, I know I need to triple check everything physically. So I will go through every single number, like single. So sometimes just my workload, it takes me a little bit longer to get things done. Um, also, uh, I'll print things out. You know, I'm a waster. <laughs> I just waste paper so poorly, but it helps me. Yeah. So that might not be something you knew, but if I do print something out and a lot of pages out, it's mostly so I have a physical, something physical in front of me that I can actually check off and say, okay, yes, this is the same as this figure. So um, dealing with that, uh, you know, I've learned to joke about it because that was, again, a coping mechanism. So, like, silly mistakes are just like, oh, I'm just, you know, it's a great day to be dyslexic. That's an ongoing uh, joke uh, we have in our office. But um, as far as that goes, um, as an adult, I've just learned to be able to cope with that better. I'm not so ashamed about it. It's just... It's not like I wanted it to happen. <laughs> I want to you be didn't able, ask to be. No, yeah, I didn't ask to be dyslexic. I want to be able to spell taco, taco and not toka, and like silly, <laughs> just silly mistakes like that where you look at it, you're yeah. like, what? How am I like 28 years old and this is still happening? Yeah. So um, it's been di- like, it was difficult, I think, more as a kid just because mm-hmm. you're getting teased. But in my, for me, I'm really fortunate. Um, I've never had, I don't think it's, it was really bad when I was a kid, but as I've gotten older in different ways that you can learn to, to deal with dyslexia and um, just double checking your work, having other people check your work. Luckily I have, you know, we have a, a line of people who review things that can check for silly mistakes that I make um, before it goes out to the people who it really matters to. Um, is really fortunate for me. So I don't know if I just ended up having the right line of work that allows me to have extra eyes on my on my stuff before it goes out. But um, as far as what can I advise, I can't really. I'm not as well versed as Lauren is. <laughs> go to on, HR. Uh, yeah, go to HR. But obviously, I think the same kind of rules apply. If you have a learning disability and you really do struggle with it and it holds you back from work, it takes you longer to do things. Um, and it's important. I think, you know what, like, even if, go to HR. I think that's a great piece of advice that Lauren gave. And I think, uh, you can apply that to not only like, you know, mental, uh, issues or physical issues or whatever disability, whatever, um, learning disability, same thing. Definitely. Um, cause it's a whole thing. There's a lot of people out there that are dyslexic. So, uh, and dealing with that is just another thing, but there's solutions to, to problems and going to HR seems to be an excellent uh, course of action to take care of that. So um, yeah, that's my, my little spiel. Luckily, like I said, I don't have to deal with the same struggles that you guys deal with, so I do feel really fortunate about that, but I do misspell quite a few words. <laughs> and props to all the initiative you've taken by yourself as well. 
So I, I work with Bethany on a number of projects, including some that are very, very detail heavy and data heavy. And a lot of long words. A lot of long words. <laughs> a lot of numbers. A lot of numbers. Uh, and she has a reputation for being very, very reliable. Well, I appreciate that she, so much. <laughs> it means a lot. It means a lot. <laughs> Somebody who's like failed every spelling test. Uh. Yeah, like you, uh, obviously you make it work. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things. So I couldn't imagine doing writing all day. Oh, no. Like, mm-mm. So luckily I get to break up the tedious number figures with doing creative stuff, luckily. So you just got to, yeah, I, I found something that works best for me, which is... I'm, again, fortunate in that, in that Yeah. Fact. And as I was hearing you guys talk, I guess I, I did, I don't know if I had, like, a sit-down conversation with my boss, but, I mean, I, I did, like, when things would come up, when I would have a migraine or when I was changing medicine and stuff like that, I did let my team know, let mm-hmm. my boss know. Um, just heads up, like, these things are going on. Um, I mean, honestly, I didn't, I let them know because I didn't want my the work. I, I had a feeling mm-hmm. the work was going to get off. Um, and to be fair, it did. I did have more mistakes than, <laughs> <laughs> than normal. So um, for me, it, it was a good strategy because, I mean, it, it was kind of an excuse. But I was like, hey, I have a migraine. I'm on my medicine. And then, you know, people knew to check for me a few times. And yeah. I, I wouldn't email certain people because I make a mistake and so that mm-hmm. kind of helped for me now thankfully I'm still on the same medicine but I've, I've it's I think you've worked, adjusted yeah, yeah adjusted, really well definitely. to it even if you didn't so you're you're smart to let us know because it does affect our work and because we can cover for you yeah so like I'm super happy to check your emails for two days because I know that you've got my back if I don't know where my feet are one day yeah um yeah, it, it's... There's lots of solutions. There are. And it's. I don't always want to advise people to be totally transparent about everything because there is still a lot of stigma attached to oh, yeah. certain totally. things. It's scary. It's yeah. scary. It but, is. you know, like with your colleagues, especially if you, if you have a good relationship with them, um, yeah, feel free to confide in them and ask for help sometimes. If you need something proofread, ask them to proofread it. It, it, it goes both ways. It's a good way to work instead of just relying on yourself and making mistakes that you could have avoided. And making a really big mistake that you can't take back, you know. I feel... Down the line. I feel too seen. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, um... It, like, once a year, I, I screw up very, very badly, and I had my annual screw up last December. <laughs> I was not even thinking about that, Lauren. I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> so we've talked about reinventing yourself, stress, post-college, jobs, mental health, health, how to deal with it all. Um, and one thing I think we all deal with every day that we haven't really talked about is social media. Mm. Um, I do deal with this every day. You literally <laughs> we, a part of her, all, our jobs. Yeah, actually, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> we deal with it with our jobs. 
Um, we deal with it personally. We all are scrolling on Instagram. I personally love LinkedIn the most. What is your favorite social media? <laughs> Judge me all you want, but I love LinkedIn the most. What's your favorite social media? She's not being ironic. She really does love no, social media. No, it's my media. favorite. You can judge me. If you know me, you know it's LinkedIn. What's your favorite network or channel? You know, I'm not even on it that much, but I think Twitter is just kind of this like beautiful pit of chaos, and I, I'm kind of enamored with That's it. That's Twitter. What about you? Oh, Instagram all 100%. the way. I thought you say Snapchat, honestly. Uh, no, well, I, so I was, I was telling you guys this earlier, I'm more of a consumer, so yeah, I love Snapchat because mm. I love the, I can get as much as I can get in into a very small amount of time. Yeah. Uh, like on the metro or when I'm just laying in bed and not, you know, I love my, uh, my junk mail, or not my junk mail, but my junk news, daily yeah. mail, mm-hmm. love that. Um, but I just love Instagram because I told you guys this earlier. If you haven't seen this meme, you need to go check it out. But just little stupid things, how you were talking about Twitter's chaos. Like, the internet and Instagram, stuff like that just cracks me up. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there was a meme of a, la- a black lab holding a knife in uh, its mouth. <laughs> was, it, was it like a chef's knife or like a It was knife? like a steak knife. Oh, okay. A steak knife. Um, so that's your image. And then the caption is, mess with the labo, you get stabbo. And I just thought it was so stupid and so silly. And it just... And the idea of a black lab trying to... Stabbo, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's just so... It can never happen. Uh, it'll never happen, but just stuff like that, like, cracks it me up. It's ma- so stupid. Yeah, it makes me laugh. So, I'm a consumer. Give me all the stupid memes all day. Yeah. They're fun. So my intellectual question about social media, please lay it on. Um, what do you think since graduating or even in college, do you think social media has bettered your life or do you think, I don't know about you guys, but, um, I mean, were you bullied on social media? Do you see the benefits of social media I mean or has it empowered you has it made you a better person or do you see the negatives um I mean have you been catfished (laughs) have you catfished catfished someone (laughs) um you know like the negatives the positives I just I think I'm curious I want to know this for myself I think it'd be interesting to talk about too um but we also we work in it you know as as our jobs to um, see analytics, and I mean, we are literally stalkers for a living. I that's what I think of myself. That, I mean, more or less, that's business development for you. We spam people to get people to come we to events. We do not spam anyone. What? Whatever. I've worked on our emails program. We do. We do not spam. We're extremely respectful. Well, a lot of companies <laughs> we don't, but a lot of other companies yeah, in the yeah. world spam. They're professional spammers. That that's some some people's LinkedIn headlines. Professional spammer. Mm-hmm. They make it loud and proud. So, thoughts, pros and cons. Do you think it, social media has truly helped you in your life? I think yes. Now that I know how it works, so from like the back end. From the back end, I manage our company's Twitter feed and our LinkedIn profile, and I'm responsible for running any paid ads that we do on either one of those. And seeing all the little ways that you can segment your audience and go after someone was wild. 
Like, they can really, they know so much about you. And, you know, it, the advertisements can get so granular. And there are lots of different small things that you can do to tweak an ad to just, like, make sure that it's going to get you to think what they want you to think. Um, which sounds very Big Brother. Yeah. Which I And I think that's really scary to people who don't 100% do it for a living (laughs) it is scary so Alexa is listening everyone (laughs) but you know I I do do some of it for a living and I'm really able to see it now as way more of a tool so you know it's not quite flipping through a magazine but there are a lot of similarities and now when I look through Instagram I look at it more as the way I look at a magazine, which is, like, I, I hate magazines too, so this was not helpful, maybe. Um, <laughs> I'm biased. But when I when I see these things, I'm like, so many hours and so much curation went into this. Yeah. And so much, like, in-depth research about who is reading it and exactly what actions the publishers want them to take. Yeah. And the advertisers. So now I know that, and I can kind of look at these things and think like, oh, that's interesting, like that's effective, that's not effective. I like, I look at it like I would look at, you know, like Bethany would look at a competitor's they invitations. Kn- there you go, yeah. It's like, you know, you kind of pick up little tips here and there. It's like a trade to me. Um, so when I see social media, I, you know, I kind of see that part. And I have, I think, a much easier time than I used to separating it from you know, ways in which I communicate with my friends and my network. So, like, once once you do it for a living, once you see it as, you know, a, a job skill, I think it's a lot easier to separate that from what social media can be in terms of a communication tool. So, my... I also... I hate New Year's resolutions and magazines. I just hate... I hate a lot of things, guys. Um, but my 2020 New Year's resolution was to post more on social media because every time I do, I end up hearing from people that I haven't talked to in a year or, you know, friends that I didn't even realize liked whatever restaurant I posted a picture of. And, you know, I can connect with people a lot better, especially not living near a lot of my friends from childhood. Like, we've got the internet and that's basically it. So... In that sense, I, you know, social media has been great, but I think I've had to, like, be careful about the ways I use it and be pretty deliberate about it. Totally. Bethany, your thoughts? Pros, cons, has it helped you? Pros and cons. Well, I feel like the different versions of social media that have, like, come and gone are different than maybe what you have experienced or what... Whoever's listening. That I agree with, yes. Out there. So yeah. when I was in high school and middle school, MySpace, uh, it wasn't until later on, late high school into college, Facebook was like the jam. It, mm-hmm. it was the hit. That's like what, that's how you did your stocking. That was mm-hmm. what like you were liking and posting pictures, albums, you're doing everything. You had Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. Oh my gosh, AIM. So many AIM, things. Yeah, AIM. AIM. I called um, it AIM. Same. Uh, but just, so that phase, but when I was in college, Instagram was a thing, but nobody used it. People used it solely to get the filters. 
Oh yeah, and, but yes. they didn't post. Yes, yeah, yeah. I they did didn't. That. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, like they didn't post. So you would apply the f- filter, yeah. screenshot the picture, and then post it wherever you elsewhere because nobody was on Instagram. So how you probably experienced, Catherine, uh, Instagram is a lot different in college. I can only imagine the yeah. mayhem that would have been going down. It, yeah, in it, college. So I think my experience in general has been a little bit different than yours, but. As an adult, I still have, I think we can still relate on a lot of different things, a lot of different topics, but I think connecting with friends and still being engaged with people that you wouldn't be so much engaged, especially people after college, you don't live near them. Um, I think that has been a really positive impact, but there's been negative stuff uh, along with personal life. Um, uh, I was talking to you guys earlier about, about with uh, relationships you know, um, ending and then having to deal with that aftermath, like, oh, well, we're still friends on Instagram, we're still on Snapchat together, he's still viewing my stories, or she's still looking at my stuff, so, uh, and dealing with that, and how, like, how weird is it, like, that's a whole other thing, and added drama that people, um, older than us didn't have to deal with, Mm. like, when they broke up with somebody, like, you just didn't call them anymore, or, like, you didn't, you didn't have to be constantly in contact with somebody you didn't want to be in contact anymore. But so. you did see them at your high school, like, on Monday morning. At your high yeah. school. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I I don't know. I'm thinking more in the adult sense. Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, you might run into them. And, you know, DC can get smaller and smaller every day. But um, just that constant interaction and having mm-hmm. to see them all the time can definitely impact you negatively. So I'm an advocate of when you are officially done with somebody, delete them off of everything. I don't think it's immature. <laughs> I don't think it's silly. I say, you know what? It's healthy. It's healthy. You don't need, you know, like, if they're not in your life anymore, there's no need to be looking at their stuff. But if you're mature enough to be able to still be friends with them, like, do your thing. But I'm also... If, what When you get to that place, you can refriend them. Absolutely. It's, it's that easy. easy. It's that easy. So... Um, negatively, I think it just, there's added things now, like, oh, like, everybody knows your business, so, like, that's the negative aspect of it. People who don't necessarily want to know your business will reach out to you, text you, whatever, to find out because they're nosy, um, but other than that, I think mostly, uh, it's been positive because I'm laughing my ass off, so I think, you know, you know me and the... (laughs) <laughs> no need to bring up the the lab meme again, but I could if you wanted me to. <laughs> this um, I'm taking a picture of the microphone to post this on Instagram. So really... you have your content for the day. I yes. do. Yeah, I have not been keeping up with my resolution, so thank you, ladies. <laughs> so you both have interesting. You both I can sense the more positive on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So I find that interesting because if I had to pick one side. I definitely would go the negative route. And let me just say, like, 100% love how you have to connect with people. I mean, if I didn't have social media, I would be a horrible friend. I'm the worst texter. Everyone can vouch for me. Um, So social media really helps me. If I see someone, like, a post or Instagram story, I I reply. Like, they're they're literally posting for me. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) and I reply to them. And that's how I keep in touch with people. <laughs> Literally, that's like my strategy. No, yeah, a lot of people do are sending me like sending yeah, anything sure. posts. Like that's how people keep conversations. Now. Yeah, because 
texting, I it's just so hard for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah, a child, literally. Um. So for that aspect, definitely keeping in touch, amazing. But, I mean, with self-image, horrible. Mm. Uh, growing up with social media, such like a dysmorphia thing. I'm not sad I missed that. No, totally. <laughs> I did not. Um, growing up with Thumbs. online relationships. Ooh, sure. Growing up with uh, photos out there in the world. No. Um, growing up with like online photos like of you potentially being drinking. Like, under, yeah, all that. Like, No. It was just horrible. Like, you had to tiptoe around things because mm-hmm. you don't know who could be taking a photo of you. Oh, totally. That just is, like, mind-blowing because just thinking about that, I was like, oh, my gosh, what was I doing? We were taking pictures with digital cameras, mm-hmm. and our our photos were grainy flip phone. Maybe <laughs> if you had a razor or what. Yeah. Like, uh, I but mean, sometimes we would take out the uh, memory card and upload them to Facebook. Totally. That was a thing. But it wasn't as instant. Yeah. So you, yeah. the next day, you like, could if ruin you someone's were, life. Yeah, instantly. if you were uh, under the influence of anything and you're like, oh, I did this while I was drunk or something or high or whatever, um, you know, you can't really do that. I mean, you could with a digital camera, but there's a lot more steps you have, you have to do. Yeah. yeah. You have to, like, go <laughs> get to the computer. Yeah, you have to get a cord. Find the, yeah, the little uh, micro USB cord. The, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, upload it. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, yeah. look through them all. Yeah. There was a much bigger process that we had to deal with uh, than the instant. Like, Snapchat is, like, you don't even have to think twice. Like, it's, it's, scary. it's out there. Yeah. yeah. And then for me, learning a lot about the privacy aspect. So I think I've asked a lot of my friends what their opinion is basically like, do they care about their privacy? Mm -hmm. Do they care that your whole life is on the internet? Mm -hmm. Everyone know like Mrs. Alexa knows your address, knows your, you know, if you're a Democrat or Republican, knows how much you make, like everything about you. They know they're making money off of it. It's like techie Santa. Yeah, mm-hmm. like data is, they're making millions off of their, your data. Yeah. And the answer that I've gotten is like, I don't care. They don't care. Yeah, I, sh- I don't either. I just don't think I'm that special. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's valid for people to worry about that. Um, you know, people, people are private. People don't. You know, they have their own reasons for not wanting their lives and their information out there, and I think that's totally valid. Uh, I just, I just don't care. I mean, I'm, I don't care either, because again, yeah. like I'm seeing it from the back end, and it's like, you know, the <laughs> all the um, all the companies trying to sell me engagement rings because they see on Facebook that I've been in a relationship for almost five years yeah. and haven't, you know, changed my relationship status. Sure. Like they don't. Yeah, I get served a lot of very targeted ads, but they don't—they don't know me. Yeah, <laughs> no one's gonna drill down to that data point and be like, "Oh yeah, this chick, Let's look at her." <laughs> I just—I don't care. Yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of interesting worlds out there. But with social media, I go back and forth. I definitely—I just there's a lot of negative things I think that come from it. Mm-hmm. Um, there totally can be. Yeah. And the, the big thing for me is the self-image part. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
social media, I mean, I mean, I do this 100%. I am guilty, but only putting the best parts of you out there. Oh, absolutely. For sure. And, I mean, no one wants to see all your sad parts. Sad parts. All your, like, your sad moments of your life. Too bad. They're getting mine. <laughs> <laughs> on your Lauren, on I will your say, is good about that. She's got a couple uh, <laughs> pictures of me where it was. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? I don't care. Post it. Why yeah. Not? I mean, like. Because it's funny. I look back again. Yeah. I'm a consumer. You do it makes it me good. laugh. I don't know. Here. Like, I mean, some people literally posting pictures of them crying. I'm like, it's crazy. Yeah, true. I do it in like a, a funny haha look at my life. Like, yeah. I take it back. I'm, I'm just as bad as everyone else. No, no. You do it. <laughs> no. I promise you, you do it in a funny way. Some people, you're like, you're cringe. But for me, like, I'm very, not filtered. No, actually, I am. I'm filtered. And. Every photo, I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this in D.C. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I don't post, like, I hate my landlord. Mm-hmm. That's relatable content, though, right there. I know, but. It's a conversation. But, yeah, like, that's, I'm literally. Is I don't that know. the. That, well, because you are a positive person. You want to be seen as a positive yeah, person. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, social media, I don't know. I go back and forth. I love it. And, like, you'll never see me delete social media. Um, I just, I have a. A interesting, really a dynamic relationship with yeah. it because, and it's interesting. I have a different relationship than both of you. I mean, we all have different relationships with everything, but I have a different relationship than both of you. Yeah. Mm. And I wonder if it is the age difference. It, I mean, it definitely could be. I feel like um, just now the stories that you hear and how big of an impact it is. Um, I probably would have had a different. Uh, mm-hmm. A different um, relationship with it than I do now. Just as somebody, now I just see it as uh, most of the times just seeing somebody post something. I'm like, oh, you think that's funny too, or oh my gosh, like I do that. That's so true. Like let me like this and that. So um, you don't like cry over someone not following you back. No, like and there's that people is, that do. Like yeah, for sure. Thankfully, yeah. I don't. But I will say, but like the number of likes and stuff that has never been. Um, I have gone crazy over likes and followers, and I will admit it. Well, Insta I, took likes off. Oh, no, you can still see your own likes, yeah. but you can't see other people's. Okay. Or something like that. I don't even know. I haven't followed that update yet, but I, I did because work. Sure. It, it, <laughs> sure. it is the thing I said it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there is an app where you can see um, who unfollowed you, and I had that for a little bit in college, but I had to um, delete that because that got real toxic for me. Because I would start hating people. Yeah. That's not good. It, yeah. Like, it got negative for me. Yeah. So, there are some aspects where, me personally, I just was like, no, no. You're going down a wrong path, honey. And I think a lot of people will probably relate to you. With oh, that. totally. So. so. With the self-image, too. Like, you yeah. see all these beautiful people posting, they're going to Thailand, they're going to Bali, like... Do you have a job? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think life? about that people who I see with like yoga mats, like walking down the street in the middle of a work day. I'm like, what are you doing? Let's see, <laughs> or people jogging. I'm like, what are you doing out jogging right now? It is. Don't you work? Yes. That's yeah. what I like. It, I yeah. deal with that with the outside people. Yeah. No. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least on Instagram, like, I know where my mind goes. I see someone like posing with something at a resort. I'm like. I know what you had. I know what that pose looks like in real life. It's not comfortable. I know how many <laughs> takes you had to do of that shot. It was a lot. Like you, you can break it down. It's really knowing, easy for you. Yeah. Knowing the industry really is a game changer. Yeah. Um, 
on how you perceive that content and yeah. how it affects <laughs> but, you. You know, if you're twelve, you're or, like, if you're 12 <laughs> or thirteen and you're seeing that, God, you don't know. It's, Who knows? Yeah. yeah. It's All you know is that I want to go to Thailand. I want to drink whatever they're drinking. And how do I get there? I, let me be skinny. Let me be blonde. Let me lose, you know, 100 pounds. And then I could be that person. And yeah. I can Yes, because she's totally happy. Mm-hmm. Because on Instagram, she's smiling. Yeah, well. Yeah. That's not that hard. <sighs> that's interesting. It is interesting. Social media. The world of social media. Hmm. What do we have there? So, to end this first fun podcast i think we should end on a positive note okay what's the most fun adult thing you've bought since graduating college i i kind of want to say my cat but i and i mean we check we did technically pay money for him (laughs) um but i i feel like tommy isn't one that can be owned really um, so I'm going to go with my couch. I bought a couch like two years ago for $300 at Ikea. And I was very happy about it. And you still have it? I still have it. It's That's pretty couch. good. I had to sleep on it last night because I was snoring too loud and it even kicked me out. <laughs> and has Tommy ruined it? That's sure the, the has. key question yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, he, he does this weird little like mountain climber thing where he'll like crawl himself up the bottom of the couch by his claws. It's, yeah, it's a mess. But, um, we love cats, but still comfy. Yeah. Oh, Bethany, what about you? For me, well, most adult thing you've bought that I bought. Well, that brings you joy. Okay. Did I say well, that that brings you joy? Okay, can I? I assumed. Well, okay. I have two things. Now that I think about it, yeah. Mo- most adult thing I bought was like renter's insurance. So the most adult thing <laughs> that good, I though. have bought that I love is another home decor house. It's <laughs> is a rug. Okay. Which was really exciting because it took me, rug. oh my gosh, I like went back and forth about what to buy and I finally found one. So that was exciting. But I think something that was gifted to me that I didn't have before for a very long time that I do now have is uh, the Amazon Fire Stick that you can talk into. Yeah. I had the first edition uh, Amazon Fire Stick for the longest time. I also lost my um, actual remote. To my yeah. television, so I just learned to adapt. <laughs> there's and an would, app. There's an app. Well, I have the Roku and there's an app. I lost well, my remote too, so I feel you. So yeah, so I just learned to adapt, <laughs> and when I was done, I would either let the television just stay on, or I'd get up and go turn it off. Yeah. Now that it's all compact into, into a one, talkable remote. A talkable <laughs> remote. How how was I living before this? How like, were you, Bethany? It was. No longer do I have to go through the alphabet and like do 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 down down over over up up mm. enter. Oh, oh I, I miss I misspelled it because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> go back 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 back. <laughs> oh my gosh! And the fact that like uh, it is literally a game changer. So that was not something I purchased, but it was given to me as an adult, and it sparks joy. It. It's far <laughs> Marie Kondo here. Like anytime I'm just like, oh, I want to watch something that Tom Hanks is in. Boom! All the options. Oh, like it is literally that's delightful, an amazing gift. So shout out to my sister who got that for me for Christmas, this past Christmas. But um, yeah, the most expensive, nicest thing that I've bought myself is a nice rug. Honestly, adulting is figuring out how much home decor things really are. Because mm-hmm. a rug, so expensive. Not just so Couch, expensive. So super expensive. expensive. 
quality ones too. That's like the thing. Sure, you can buy a couch, but yeah, don't just... get me started on armchairs. It's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Oh, I haven't. It's I don't practically the cost that. of a couch. Yeah, I can't even know. <sighs> I don't have room for that oh in my, my 500 square foot little basement. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I feel you. It's not like I. Lo- I also live in a room, so <laughs> I feel you on that on a very personal level. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, the rug or I was telling you earlier the. Um, Laundry spiky balls. Oh, laundry balls. Oh, yeah. They are it, you guys. If you don't have them, go buy some. For Fluffy towels for days. Mm. This podcast brought to you by rugs and spiky laundry balls. Yes. <laughs> spiky balls. <laughs> sponsor us. No. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> all the Catherine. home decor. Home goods? Yes. yes. We all shop at home goods. TJ Maxx. Oh, absolutely. Ikea. Call me a fashionista. Yes. I'm not, but I still shop there. <laughs> I think for me, after I graduated, my graduation, the college graduation gift to myself was a Dyson vacuum. Mm, Still it. use it to this day. Amazing. Quality. Still use it to this day. Yeah. It was like a year ago. Leave me alone. A year and six months. <laughs> 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 it could have broken. I don't know. I used that 20% Bed Bath & Beyond coupon and mm, amazing. Good on you. It's All pink. A good coupon. So thank you both for... Joining me on this podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah. This was fun. It was so much fun. I hope you listeners learned something. And join us next time for a fun and engaging podcast on There's Food at Home. Mm